Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works and maybe what's more important, what doesn't. That's awesome. And yep, and we know what works because we know conversations work. And we're going to have a conversation today in a very special episode with a great panel discussion with women in sales enablement. Scott and I are super excited to host this panel because as orchestrators, we need to work with people who have different perspectives than us, and we need to be inclusive of, of those perspectives. And so what we're going to do is make this fun and informal and informational. And if you guys remember in our last uh, podcast, which was our anniversary show, it was episode 43. And in that particular episode, Sarah Frick from Ring Central was with us. And after we were done shooting that uh, episode and recording it, we were talking to Sarah and the rest of the panelists about ideas for this year. And as we moved into season two, what could we talk about? And Sarah chimed in and said, hey, let's, you know, it'd be great if we, we brought together and created some space to have conversations with women in sales enablement. And so we said, that's a great idea. And help us. Can you help us do that? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to I'm going to pass this over to Sarah Frick, who's going to be our guest host. And she's going to talk through um, and introduce the panelists. And she's going to talk about um, and ask them questions like, you know, what's happening when women in leadership for enablement, uh, what, what does it look like when they're working well and when it, when it works well? And what are some specific challenges that women in enablement face today and many, many others? And then Scott and I are going to chime in along the way. And as usual, we'll recap it at the end. So, Sarah, thanks so much for volunteering to do this. I uh, really appreciate it. I'm going to pass it over to you and uh, you can kick it off how you want to. That sounds great. Brian, Scott, thank you so much for providing the space to do this. Um, part of, part of, part of uh, any right, uh, group is how can I continue to get additional perspectives? Um, one of the things that you know, I uh, started with my colleagues at Rank Central is something called the ladies room. Um, so today I like to think that we're kind of broadening that uh, concept and bringing in a few more folks to the conversation. So, uh oh, um, so there we go. Like, uh, as a guy, I'm not sure if I want to be in the ladies' room right now. <laughs> I don't know. Scott. Well, I, de I definitely want to be in the ladies' room. Oh. Well, okay, I just want to make sure. Well, Brian, okay. I got it. As, you're getting we a didn't little bit really we in told. as we're having this conversation between us. <laughs> Brian, I have to say, as a woman in technology, um, welcome to our lives every day. There you go. Awesome. Listen, men can have their locker rooms. Ladies are getting the <laughs> ladies room here. <laughs> um, so I really appreciate uh, the great panel that we've got here. We have some phenomenal, strong, uh, great enablement leaders. So um, I don't even think I could do justice of introducing everyone. We've got folks from the South to the West 
to uh, not across the pond quite yet. We'll have to do that next round. Um, and tons of voices that have been uh, highlighted by folks like LinkedIn and others of, hey, these are the people that you really should be listening to. So thank you, ladies, for joining us. Um, and I'm just going to start by asking you to, to introduce yourself to the crew. Um, so Amy, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be in such good company with a lot of estrogen. <laughs> I am not generally surrounded by as much, and we'll get into that. I've been in the enablement learning and development space throughout my career. Started off at EMC about 15 years ago, and in 2018, I started my own consulting business. Um, what I love to be able to do is help executives make decisions and influence up and down their chain to create efficiencies. I also love to make sure that we're getting all of the perspectives from the different folks in the organization. Um, I believe that that lens is not often seen by most leaders because they just their point of view is it's focused. And so I widen the focus so that we get more diverse thought. That's awesome. Thanks, Amy, for sharing that. And look forward to diving into that commentary deeper. Um, uh, Lindsay, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, hi. It's um, I'm excited to be here today as well. So um, great group of women, and, and I think this should be an excellent conversation. My name's Lindsay Gore. I've been in uh, technology sales for about the last 12 years or so, um, both in sales and sales leadership roles. And currently, I'm at Microsoft today and uh, in their cloud business, so selling data and AI solutions. Thank you, Lindsay. Really appreciate that. Um, Alicia, you want to give, go next? Yes, thank you very much for having me. My name is Alicia Leach. I come from Salesforce. I am a field enablement director at Salesforce. Um, prior to being in enablement, I was in sales for quite some time. Um, I'd say I've ha I have about a 20-year technology sales career. And um, like Amy, who likes to help leaders in decision-making, I like to help sales leaders in getting deals off the table and helping them make money. That's what we're all here for, make that money. I like that you, you come from, it's like you've, you've come down from space <laughs> into Salesforce, which totally makes sense knowing Salesforce. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you uh, so much. And Steph, I know uh, you're on the same team. Can you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, Sarah. This is Stephanie Bell. I am also with Salesforce. I've been here the last five years and have been in sales the last decade, just recently moving into the enablement side of the house, actually under Alicia. So I'm also a manager of field enablement. And uh, one of my passion projects is the women's network at Salesforce. So I'm the president of the Salesforce women's network for the Southeast out of our Atlanta hub. We have about 350 members. So that is my passion project in helping get more women into leadership. That is, is phenomenal. And being in the Southeast, you've got a part of my heart. Um, I'm actually in South Carolina. So it's a good oh, spot in the world. Um, <laughs> um, hey, 
Can you introduce Hi. yourself, please? Hi there. My name's Hang Black. I'm the Vice President of Global Sales Enablement at Juniper Networks. I've been here about 18 months. Uh, my route has been a little bit circuitous. I've spent almost a decade in engineering, a decade in marketing, and almost now a decade in sales. And um, I've loved all of it, but I feel like enablement is my home because it is the convergence of all three. And I, too, hail from Louisiana, so I'm feeling the Southeast vibe. Yeah. Everyone should just move to the Southeast. Everyone should be in sales. We've all at least experienced that a little bit. Uh, but it sounds like with this core group, I think we could build a product, we can market a product, we can enable a product in the market, right? So we got it all covered. Um, and sell well, it. Oh, I forgot the selling part. How could I do that? <laughs> it sells itself. Yeah, we, we're going to create such a great product, Scott, that, that it will just we'll just put it out there and people will buy it. <laughs> Um, well, thank you again for joining us, ladies, and such great backgrounds to have and give experience to others. Um, as uh, Just to open it up quickly, I know, Steph, you had shared the um, women's group in Atlanta that you, uh, you run. Has anyone else started a group like that within your organization or doing anything within your particular teams to help create that environment for other women in the workplace? Yeah, I w this is Amy. I've when I was working at EMC, I was leading the West Coast women's organization. So we had a West and East of the Americas, and mm -hmm. it was something that we ran quarterly events, had newsletters, and just drove a lot of conversation and awareness around women in the industry. That's awesome. In a quarterly newsletter. It's a fun way to kind of capture it and get it out there. Oh, yes. This was back when newsletters were a hit, right? But, yes, we yeah. did have um, – it was just a, a great way for folks to get the information, and we found that a lot of our audience actually enjoyed reading the newsletters. So That's great. Yeah, I remember the from the desk of X days and whenever <laughs> you'd get the – highest readership and you're like yeah now it's like it doesn't have a hashtag nobody's listening um <laughs> anyone else this is hang i um a few years ago created a lean-in group called marketing mavens of the bay area uh, but since i've exited marketing i've actually tended to be more involved in uh not intercompany but intra-company uh, women's uh, functions so sponsoring that uh, from my company as part of engagement in other companies. Examples would be networking with a purpose that connects some of the largest 14 companies in the Bay Area, um, Women Unlimited, the, those sort of connections. And I'm now kicking off a new group where we want to focus on actually creating action. That, that's a good one. Uh, just there's a lot to, to talk and create an inclusive environment to talk, but there's a whole other part of actually taking the action and making it happen. Um, Steph, tell us a little bit more about your group in Atlanta. Sure. So I, I can't take all of the credit for launching. So I, I want to be clear. There's a lot of people that helped. We are lucky at Salesforce to have um, a lot of ERGs. And a few years ago, about four years ago, they started thinking about things like WIT that exist on a national level and how we bring things like that into Salesforce. So a group of women started to think through what that would look like as an ERG. 
and the Salesforce Women's Network was born. And we decided to launch a version of that in Atlanta. So we were lucky enough to have some executive sponsors who helped us get it off the ground and say, hey, whatever you need, we're here, uh, both male and female. We find that it's really important to have male allies uh, because they tend to be the majority of leadership. So we were lucky that we had uh, a great male ally and lots of female executives that helped us stand it up. And then basically what we do is we try and grow our membership. And every year at the global level, Women's Network sets a V2 mom. So if you're not familiar with the V2 mom framework, um, it's your vision, your values, your methods, um, your measurements, and your obstacles. So we work from that framework as a company. And we also work with that framework as um, the Women's Network. So every year we set that out. And this year, our major goal is to see 50% of women in leadership. So we structure our events and our engagement with all of our members around how do we get them exposure to leaders? How do we focus on the intersectionality of women and other groups? And how do we build diverse teams and offer people networking, mentorship, sponsorship opportunities? So we try and really stick closely to that one big goal and center everything we do with our members around that. So it's, it's really interesting um, that we sort of have a global lead, but we get to run it how best works for our members in and around Atlanta. I am floored and impressed with the model that you both use, right, as a company, and then you've put that into your ERGs. One of the things that I've really noticed as folks are, are creating them and crafting them is we don't always remember that we should use all the core business practices that we already have in place as we're starting essentially a new team. Um, and just for clarification for everyone, ERGs are employee resource groups. Um, hang, good call out there. Um, and it's, it, it really, obviously, right, that diversity and inclusion as, as, as parts of a company have now become an actual division. And typically they're running the ERGs at a high level. And then of course, right, like Steph's point of view, it's it, you can't have an ERG in just headquarters, stay out in San Francisco, like our organizations are, are based and expect that to apply everywhere. There's gotta be these offshoots of organizations. Um, how, tell me kind of a little bit guys, as you think about um, ERGs that you've got in place within your company, how, you know, Steph, you mentioned male and female. Does everyone agree with having both parties included in the conversation. I see a lot of heads nodding uh, for our, lis no, our listeners. What about, you know, if you have that uh, diversity around the table and you've had mm -hmm. women that have spoken up and said, I'd actually rather have a, you know, a forum that's just women only. Has that happened to anyone? Well, I think there are two types of conversations. There are conversations that are kind of, you know, Vegas rules. Um, and there are conversations where you bring in allies. And I don't think it's just men. I think inclusion and diversity, there's a little bit of a misnomer around. It's just around race. It's just around gender. It's just around this, that or the other. It's a non-exclusion of all parties. It's it's bringing in voices and cognitive diversity to the table. And there's no social movement ever. I repeat, ever in history, who that has been won without the allies at the table. Mm -hmm. I completely Absolutely agree. Absolutely true. I think I couldn't agree with you more, Hang. Um, at Salesforce, 
we have this tagline that says business is the greatest platform for change. And at first I thought that that was branding maybe 10, 15 years ago when we first started with that. And it's not, it's actually a living, breathing mantra at our, at our workplace. And if you don't diversity inclusion is just that it's diversity. It's the diversity of men, women, race, cultural background, sexual, association, all of it. And so if you don't have, if you create a group that is a vacuum of all like one person, then you're missing the diversity and inclusion part. It's interesting though, on the, on the flip side of that, I'll just sort of throw this out there for folks that maybe haven't had as much of a voice or have had a hard time finding their voice, being in a, a group of like folks with shared experiences, give something of that context to actually develop that voice. So then when you're in a mixed audience, um, I think you can show up in a different way um, and feel supported. So, you know, I, I think the allies are certainly very, very important, but I think, you know, sort of the group connection as well um, is also important. So I think there's probably value on, on both sides. I would say from, from my own experience, experience and I, this is, hasn't been intentional at all but I've never worked in an organization with as many women as I do now um, and women leaders so I've I've never actually had a female boss until you know the last two years of, of my career um, and you know her boss's boss is a woman and there's a quite a chain but my networking within the within Microsoft has been very female focused and I, that hasn't really been intentional but I found that those connections have been easier to make in terms of building up my own network versus in other places where the the organization was very heavily male and it was a lot harder to approach executives to to build out my network that way um, and i don't know that that has anything here or there in terms of saying one way is better than the other but i think you've got to be able to span both directions and and maybe there's value in both types of conversations one with with your group and then the other with your allies and inclusive yeah, Lindsay, I've, I've found that definitely to, to be the case, right? I think we're all in agreement. We want our allies around the table, but there's also, you know, creating space to, to have those more, those smaller conversations. And like we continue to talk about, it can't be all just one big corporate piece. It's breaking it up into little pe little groups so that different conversations can be had. Not all of them make sense at the same table. Um, Hang, you had mentioned something around cognitive diversity. Um, or not something, rather, you mentioned cognitive diversity. Um, can you help us in, in unpacking that a little bit? Um, so I've said before that my team will never, ever be an orchestra full of violins. So it's important for my team to be, um, to be you know, full of very interesting um, and different unicorns because we bring so many different ideas and thoughts to the table and we are able to challenge each other respectfully um, whether it's again race gender but tenure age background i have a sommelier a pastry chef a a a an actor a musician um technology and non-technology different industry backgrounds and it's because they bring all this different innovation and we're able to unpack it and think about okay how do we skate to the puck and use the skill sets that we have towards a technology framework um so 
I believe that it makes my team more agile and I believe it actually brings us a competitive advantage. Completely agree. That's awesome. And I, um, I love the fact that the way you talk about your team members isn't about their contributions to the business necessarily. It's about how the, the mind, mindset and frame that they're bringing because of their backgrounds and what they're actually, you know, their interest levels outside of work. Um, I think very similarly, and I, I love that you shared that with us. Um, Thank you. And you know what? Absolutely. It contributes to the bottom line. At the end of the day, you know, we are yeah. business minded salespeople. It absolutely contributes to the bottom line. So Sarah, I want to piggyback on something that Hank's, Hank's talking about. One of the things that I know that intimidates men in general, or many men, I don't want to say all men, uh, but many men that, that I talk to is when the diversity uh, card gets played in their opinion or the discussion happens, people tend to get into a defensive posture of, oh, no, I'm not going to be allowed to say what I want to say. And it becomes an HR thing. And what's interesting for me is everything Hang said, I agree with 100 percent. I think it's universal. We as human beings are better when we're together. And when you have an environment where people feel like they can collaborate, everybody improves and we win more. And I think there's some, uh, what I'm interested in hearing from y'all's perspective is when you take the word diversity, can you also hear it similarly? I know that for myself, when I message it to other men, I say, look, this isn't an HR exercise. This is about getting, creating the environment to get the most ideas so you can win more. But I have to work hard to reinforce that because for whatever reason, diversity is interpreted differently with some men. So I'm interested in hearing what you guys' perspectives are around just the nature of diversity and how do we make it more about, um, you know, all working together to, you know, to make our environment better for everybody. What's the goal? Um, and I guess, Amy, I'll ask you first. Okay. I find that, in, in part, Hang, what you're talking about, and Sarah, if you humanize the people that you work with and you connect with them on a level that's even more valuable to them, um, if they're a musician or if they love serving wine with their dinner and you understand this about them, you build that relationship. And it's relationship 101. We all know it. We all sell but you have a deeper level of trust and psychological safety. And in turn, people work with you better. They like to work with you. They'll work harder, whatever that incremental ad is. And as a person, I love connection. I say connection is my drug of choice. So I always am trying to learn about people, <laughs> curious about getting to know them. But I found very early on in my life, six or seven, that like, People like that too, you know? So if they like it, they were giving me whatever it was, hanging out with me more. And then in business, it became better clientele relationships or managers were driving their teams to hit their numbers faster. Um, they would read emails from me, which we know sometimes that doesn't happen. So it's far more for me, just the level of relationship and knowing that each person has something unique to offer and trying to figure out what that is because I'm, I like learning about people and it's been a benefit. So Lindsay, and we've talked about this uh, a lot. 
Um, what sort of situations do you run into having been in a career in sales that sales has traditionally been male dominated and we tend men in general can be very, we can get very um, micro focused and we can get competitive. And sometimes we get competitive with each other than with the co competition. And that can be seen as stupid, uh, but we do that. How do you find your voice in, in that kind of environment? I mean, you're also hyper competitive. Lindsay is, if you guys don't know, played <laughs> college soccer. Um, but how do you find the space to, to be able to, to make those connections and create um, an environment for your voice to be heard? Um, you know, I think I would say it's it's changed a lot over the course of my career. Um, I would say that in the last you know handful of years, there's a lot more awareness to what Hang was describing in terms of building teams that are diverse and how do you create space for for people to have perspective and and voice. So if you're in a, an organization that has a culture like that with leaders like that, it's um it's very different than sort of coming up in in the way that I did at the start of my career where it was basically like you kind of had to be one of the boys to get the credibility to have to have a voice and to be validated in it so you know it was a lot of this concept of how do you show up in a way where you know your competitiveness and and again maybe this was because I grew up playing sports and played lots of sports with boys <laughs> um, growing up but it, it was sort of that kind of mentality where how do I how do I participate? How do I act like one of the boys? How do I compete like one of the boys? But then I'm also very aware of of things that, um, you know, are unique to my situation as a woman and just sort of manage those on the side without much support and, you know, and kind of keep those to myself. So I'd say it's it's changed a lot. I don't know that I have any, um, you know, specific examples, but I, I guess maybe early in my career, I, I will say that, you know, I was coached as I was moving into an, a field sales role um, in terms of, of entertaining clients and how to manage that. And it was basically like, you know, don't, don't do drinks or dinner with, with folks without bringing somebody along from your company. Whereas for any of the guys, that was totally fine. But, you know, you just didn't want to put the potential client in a situation where something awkward might happen. And then you, me, would have to deal with it at the, at the end of the day or the next day when here I'm trying to have, build a professional relationship with this person, um, you know, what have you. So I think, I think it's sort of those types of things that, you know, I was aware of early on and and, and sort of tried to manage in that way. Um, but I think so, a lot's changed since then, too. I have a funny question for the, less, the, the rest of the ladies on this group. Um, and it may be because, as you mentioned, Lindsay, times have changed over the years, um, you know, an inch yeah. at a time, but they have. Um, how many of you have ever said, I hate working with women? Be I honest. Never. I would say it's easier working with men. It hang is what I would okay. couch it as. Okay. The the reason I ask that is because I just from our tenure that we were talking about here, um, one of the things that I found was when I was first coming up, working with women was heinous. You had a lot of queen bee syndrome, and it was because when there was a seat at the table, you were fighting for one seat out of ten not 10 seats out of 10. So people got very protective of having that seat and they acted like a boy. So to your point, Scott, earlier, is it uncomfortable to have a conversation with a man? I would actually argue that those women at the top 25, 30 years ago were as uncomfortable 
because the way they got forward was to act competitive like men. So I think what women are invited to bring to the table right now, what we're really good at is our sweet spots. We're tend, we tend to be a little more collaborative than competitive, which makes us really, really good at neutralizing friction. We bring our authenticity and vulnerability to the table, which helps with connections, which by the way, really, really helps with sales. If you really want to close the do- dollar, you have to understand your customer. That comes with listening and collaboration. Hang, I really appreciate you sharing that. And it's interesting because the whole time you were walking through that, I was reflecting on your question, which was, you know, who's ever said don't you don't like working with other women? Um, and I, I, a lot of that, I, I think, is really dependent on what where what company did you join first. What was the diversity? Um, pretty interesting is the first company I ever joined out of college. Uh, I was, it was me and one other woman who started after me. Um, and so I didn't, I don't reflect back to my really early conversations in that way. Um, but I relate to Lindsay a lot where I was told like, don't put the client in an awkward situation. Right. Um, and so you, you, it's funny because those things get instilled in you. And then you bring them to the next company where you are reporting to a woman. And instead of remembering that piece, right, you should figure out what you could learn from her. But to your point, folks were being competitive and therefore not wanting to impart that wisdom on the women that were coming behind them. Um, one of the reasons I think it's so important for us to be coming to the table to, together is um, to to impart that onto the next crew. Um, so. Alicia, you and I have been having one-on-ones um, and you've already imparted tons of wisdom and I think we've spoken twice. Um, I, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, throughout your career, you've got Steph here, right, from your team. I know that there's many others that you've touched. Tell me a little bit about how you've ensured that you're not the woman that's being competitive and sitting in that ivory tower, but rather helping pass the baton. <laughs> um, well, so I think over the years i have been influenced by some pretty incredible women in leadership Um, and there are bits and pieces that you glean from things that look real good to you right like um, i happen to align with this female leader probably because she's a woman and she might be 10 years older than me her kids might be 10 years older than my kids um, and she still has it what do i need to do to make sure that I still have it 10 years from now. And now I am 10 years past that time. And I can look back and say, there were experiences I had with some uh, female sales leaders where I thought as good as she is as a sales leader, I'm not sure I wanna be the same mother that she is. And I've had that conversation with some of one-on-one with some of my peers who have become mothers during this time because they want to be the best at both and you can absolutely be the best at both. Mm. Um, And so back to Lindsay's point, you can have these big group conversations with many people and lead conversations with a diverse group, but you can also have very effective one-on-ones when you get into that mentor position when you help women who look like you 10 years ago and talk about what does your career look like to you? When you sit back and say, 
this is where I want to be in 10 years. What does that look like? Explain it to me. And then let's talk about the decisions you might be interested in making between now and then. I I think that is, that's awesome that you're asking those questions of other women. Um, and that you brought up the, can you be a good mother and be really powerful in the workplace? Like, can you, can you do it all? Um, and it's one of those, and you're right. You can do it all. You can have it all. Um, but I've seen many of my peers that have stepped back or have said, I can't, I just can't do both. Um, I mean, as you sit and think, and I don't know who all is a mother on the lines. I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, but hang, I'm curious. I mean, when you had your, your, your baby for the first time, like, how did you think through and did others give you advice that you could do it all? They did. And I actually think it's incorrect. I think you can have pieces of it at specific times and you have to prioritize. And it also takes sacrifice from your partner. So if your partner has zero of the housework, um, it's going to limit your career progression. Um if there is an equal partnership, that's better, but both careers will likely um, suffer. The female's career probably a little bit more um, in that situation, but it'll probably suffer. Um, but, you know, do you negotiate a period of, you know, I take the first five years, you take the next five years, whatever. <laughs> but having being coached, you can have it all at all times. I think it's the most frustrating thing for a woman because you feel like a failure because you can't be perfect and we strive to be perfect. So what I usually coach people is strive to be the best that you can be in the moment and pick your prioritizations. Um, because, you know, otherwise we have this, uh, we will have this unrealistic expectation of being Superman, superwoman at all times. And we are absolutely set ourselves up to, to fail. Um, I, I, as you think about being Superman, Superwoman, whichever, um, right. It, it is one of those things that, um, I like, I like your, your, your framework there of you have to redefine what, what is Superwoman at at that point in time. Um, and that's a lot of enablement, right. As we think about, um, the, our roles as, as humans in the workforce, like people are always going to want more enablement because <laughs> they're always going to want to make more money. And hopefully we're all defining our roles really well within the organization that if, if you do what we're saying and defining as best practice, you will make more money here at that company. Um, so as we think about the roles we've defined in the workplace and, and how we are kind of evolving, what is our definition of superwoman? Um, what does, in y'all's opinion, and I'll start with you, Lindsay, um, what does enablement look like when women in leadership and women in enablement is working well? Hmm. I, I think, I think some of the things that, I think it sort of goes back to where we started our initial conversation, where it's, you know, some of that one-on-one mentorship and how do you, you know, help coach women. I love what Alicia said about, um, you know, helping younger women have a perspective that through her experience and her career um, and some of the things that Hang said too around how do you define success and meet, um, you know, meet folks where they are. And I think also it's important on the bigger scale to to really 
you know, if you're driving equality for women overall, leaning into those organizations that you have allies coming into as well, um, where where you're meeting people and they're and meeting not not like shaking hands and hello, nice to meet you, but meeting people where Can't they actually. Yeah, no, none of that anymore. Um, but where you're actually sort of meeting people where they are and showing, you know, potential allies what it's like to be a, a women and a community of women, um, you know, and also meeting them as part of that community. I think all of those things become really important for lifting everybody up. I think those are kind of foundational pieces of it across the board. Yeah, I, I really I like that a lot. And I mean, Steph, I know you've got some great hands-on experience here with the group you're running out of Atlanta. Um, anything in specific y'all are, are doing to, to start to shape that and what's really working for you? Yeah, I, I'll actually build on what Lindsay said a little bit. I think when you look at like what makes teams successful and having mentorship up and down the way Alicia said, um, women want to see people who look like them at the top. So if there aren't other female leaders, it's going to make it really hard for their voice to be heard and for them to be their authentic selves. Um, so, Amy, I think it was you. You're saying, you know, I crave connection and understanding people. And I think that the more diversity you have on any leadership team, um, the better you understand all types of people who work for you and the more likely you are to have creative ideas and have a team that's humming well. Um, someone gave me the sports analogy of like, you can't have a team full of Kobe's because Kobe wants the ball in his hand all the time. So then your team would be fighting with each other. Right. So that same holds true with like male versus female races, ethnicities, religion. Right. You can't have a team that looks exactly like each other and be successful. So I think the way that we apply principles of we need women in leadership is partly we need women sponsors in leadership positions. And second to that, we need those women to be mentors to the women who are coming behind them, like Alicia is doing, because they need to feel comfortable having a voice um, and finding their voice and figuring out what they want it to be and being comfortable being their authentic selves. Um, I think a lot of that gets hard when you're in a company that's largely male. Um, and so it's important that you see people in front of you and behind you. And it goes up and down the chain, like Alicia said. So that's a lot of what we try to do as part of our goal with the Women's Network is how do we create sponsorship and mentorship opportunities so that when there's a leadership position available, a woman feels comfortable raising her hand and saying, I'm qualified for this. I'm a good fit. And then when she's in that position, she can continue to diversify and create connections other places. So we focus on it in that way. Part of the way that we like actually action that is we have executive sponsors so females who are currently in leadership positions and we rely on them heavily to like get out there, get their voices heard, help people understand um, how to promote themselves. So that's a, a big thing that we rely on is like that networking and mentorship aspect of things so that females have that connection above them. And they're giving that connection to people potentially below them or still are individual contributors. That's uh, phenomenal. I'd, I'd love I mean Oh, go ahead. Add something to what Stephanie said there, because I'd like to bring it back to Scott's question about how we communicate diversity and inclusion in a way that doesn't spook the male contingent and have an HR title linked to overhead. Stephanie just gave an excellent verbal visual on what the operations of good diversity and inclusion looks like. 
like giving every person the ability to raise their hand and be like, I'm interested in this leadership position. I'd like to be um, considered. So that's the operational aspect. Now, if you were to ask Scott, one of your, or any of us was to ask one of our male counterparts, um, when you ask yourself what diversity and inclusion really means, take yourself out of it, zoom out of this view that you have of the four walls of your building when you actually get to go back to your building <laughs> and see what the next generations are gonna bring to your business. Right now, we've got children ages eight through 18 and teenagers to 18 who crave that connection that Amy was talking about. And they are so far ahead of connecting with people of different races, different ethnicities, different, I mean, in different countries, and are able to uh, connect through video, song, um, different social media platforms that when they hit your business, you got to be ready to bring them into the workforce. And you've got to have the operations that Stacy, sorry, that Steph was just talking about in place to be able to move them up the food chain real fast. I, it kind of reminds me actually what Hang was talking about in the beginning, which was it's, you know, great to talk, but let's also make action, right? And the new group that you're founding. Steph and Alicia, you guys, you did that. Right. So I think that that is phenomenal as you think about how can it, it, every idea has to be operationalized. We know this from business and what we do every day. Um, but how do you make sure that you put it in practice very quickly? Um, so, Scott, um, as you, we kind of are thinking about this, I know we'd like to get some tips from the group says, you know, being a sales leader, how, how to get a sales leader to be a great sponsor. Um, how have you thought about that, Scott? What's the, I, I don't want to put myself in the spot. I want to practice what Alicia's preaching over there. <laughs> uh, but let, let's do a little bit of role playing here. I'm in a position to give you guys perspective of many VPs of sales and other, uh, other leaders. Where we are at this point in time in 2020, most of them are men. And I have a lot of conversations with these. For, for whatever reason, I've been blessed of being able to participate in many women in sales or women in sales enabling panels. And then the conversations I have with men in the bar afterwards are very different and they don't bring the issues up. They're kind of scared to bring them up because they think they're going to get labeled as sexist or whatever. So right now I'm going to do my best to channel many bar conversations. So these are not the opinions of Scott Santucci. This is why Lindsay and Hang are here to get my back for sure. <laughs> but um, what I'd like us to do is let, let's coach what a executive sponsor. So if, I've, if I'm a VP of sales and I've listened to this and I bought it and said, you know what? You're absolutely right. My team will be more competitive if we have a more inclusive environment. I don't want anybody to, I don't want to invite HR because I, I still want to maintain control over my team, but I want to create a diverse work experience. So step number one though, is how do I even bring that up? Who do I talk to? Because if I bring it up to say, Alicia, am I going to put off Lindsay? And then am I creating competition? Because keep in mind what I experience in my world, I'm probably, I'm 50 years old, just so you know. So I've experienced what Hang brought up earlier on. I've experienced lots of women co complaining about other women in the workplace. It's very confusing as a leader to know how to navigate that. So how would you suggest 
I get started on that. And I'll ask you, Alicia, because I've been inspired by what you said about just not making it about myself. Step back. What advice would you give me as the amalgam? We'll call myself Steve, not Scott. So that's not what no one thinks it's Scott saying this, but because hey, me, hey, Steve, this is what you should do. How do, how do I get a, how do I get a great program going? Well, let's first, Steve and Scott, talk about. <laughs> um, Steve Scott will be, Scott will be my last name. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the cultural aspect of the team and what your goals are for that. And then let's talk about the performance aspect of the team, right? So you want a strong culture in your team. You also want all of your reps to hit their number and exceed their number. So start with, with cultural. Um, you have Alicia on your team who happens to like golf. So whenever you do your um, team offsites, it's a great day at, at the course, but she's the only female that shows up. All your male uh, AEs show up, but not any of your female AEs except for Alicia. But it must be okay because Alicia likes golf. That's not 100% win on the cultural aspect, right? So let's think about ways in which we might be able to increase your culture on your team. Let's ask the whole team for what they wanna do for the next offsite, maybe do a vote. And let's add in there one item that's not optional. We're gonna do a VTO, a volunteer time off. And we are going to serve meals to homeless um, next weekend. Um, let's see how those events pan out. And then let's just ask people, how'd you feel about it? Do you feel a little bit more connected with your team? Um, would you like to do a virtual, uh, a, a volunteer time off project again? Um, so, so, so that's one let me give you some real time feedback on that. Um, here's what okay. resonated really strongly with me, starting off with, mm -hmm. uh, performance and culture. So what, I think we want to isolate what kind of culture do I want to have? Yep. And I want a hyper-competitive culture, but I don't want my people competing with each other. I want to compete against the, you know, I was going to curse there, but, um, you know, the bad people, the people that aren't us. So how do we create that environment where all of us, uh, we, we want to have individual awards, who doesn't like to be individually recognized? Right. And you talked about uh, everybody hitting quota. But how do I make sure all of us are more anti our competition than we are pro our individual props? How does diversity help help me do that? Because that's where you're going to really hook me. So your question is, how does diversity help you win? I think I think it's more I like competition. I think a lot of us do. What I don't like is competition amongst my team. I like mm -hmm. competition where we're all in it together and competing yeah. against somebody else. So to me, that I, is the I think what, 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 let me just give you a little more frame for that, give you some tools and anybody else can chime in on this. What was, I've been listening a lot and what I've been excited about what everybody is saying is there's this common thread of, uh, you know, to Amy's point, let's treat people as their individuals. Hang's point, hey, uh, the more we empathize with our, 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 our customers, the more we're all going to win. 
to Lindsay's point that, you know, um, boy, it's way more fun to win together than it is individually. Uh, all of these points that you guys are making are really resonating strongly with the kind of environment that I think most heads of sales want. So if you can say, we're going to do this, and then your next point about like, hey, Alicia likes to play golf, but how come other women aren't signing up for golf? Or how come when I start using football references like playbooks or whatever, a lot of women just sort of glaze over? How do I, how do I create the inclusion to get the culture that I want when I, I don't know what's relatable or not relatable. Alyssa, so, can I add a point? Hey. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Um, Scott, I was just going to say, I, I would take it back to the initial question of what does that help you win or how does diversity help you win? Alicia's first point is what is the, the culture that you want? I think it's important that yeah. the leader male or female sets that culture. Because if your team doesn't know that that's what you're driving towards, it's hard for them to follow. So you have to set that first. I think the second piece is back to Amy's point about connection. If you're treating them as individuals, as the leader of that team, you should know what drives every individual and what they're interested in. And I think that if you have those two things, if you have a vision for your team and you know their individual visions, you can take all of their strengths and that's where you create a culture that's more effective than 10 Kobe Bryant's on a team. You then have 10 individuals on a team that all serve a different purpose and you figure out, okay, X person, they are the best customer facing person we have. They can help my AEs who struggle here. This person is the best at deal strategy. They can help my AEs here. And I think that that's where you start to win more the more that you set the tone for culture and the more you understand the individual and what their goals are, that's where diversity and thought starts to help teams win, in my opinion. Well, that was awesome. I want to highlight, Alicia was super awesome too. This is a hard question to just kind of role play out on the spot. And now we're getting to some great momentum. Hang, you have some thoughts about vocabulary and language? Yeah. So if you think about having cognitive diversity and bringing in these portfolio of people, um, the first seven people I brought in, I think had 11 or 12 languages between us. And it helps you think about not just language and dialect, but culturally, too. So, for instance, when you use um, it's not just a male you know, using sports analogy, it's not just male dominated. It's it's kind of it's uh, it's Western centric. So, for instance, when I talk to my Asian audiences, I may use a different sport. I may use a different um, cultural arts uh, perspective. When I talk about, you know, competition, one person may not like golf, but they may like something equally athletic, but just a different sport. So, you know, if you bring in different diversities, Steve. Where, <laughs> where, 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 where do you see your gaps? So I like to ask, you know, um, salespeople, how many medic people are here? I used to, I really like to ask Ted question, right? So where people are self-discovering their answers. Steve, um, as Alicia mentioned, what type of culture are you driving? What type of blind spots do you think that your team has and how would you fill them? Besides me, how many other people are you talking to that represents other corners of diversity, not just female, um, not just person of color? 
Um, those are the types of questions that I would ask to say, I'm not offended at all. In fact, I'm, I thank you so much for asking me. And I really encourage you to open the door and ask other people that are even more different than me. I, I want to piggyback on that, Hang. And um, Lindsay, I'm going to ask you a question after this, so pay attention. <laughs> One of the things that I'm noticing is that sale, the, the external sales environment is becoming more complex. The number of stakeholders our salespeople have to navigate is increasing exponentially. And those people, those individual stakeholders have a difficult time getting together. And one of the things that Lindsay and I have built a great rapport over is this idea of, um, what do we call it? Um, English to English translation. <laughs> and I think it, it, what, what really matters a lot is to be able to understand all of the different perspectives you might run into and how you orchestrate that. Lindsay, would you care to comment on that about how important that you think that is and sitting in, you're the only one of us who's in, actually in a sales role right now. Uh, could you comment on how, how big of a challenge you think that is and how important bringing a diversity lens to that is? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, we talk a lot about sort of cultural transformation and cultural change in terms of, of driving, you know, consumption of technology that you're trying to sell. Um, and I see that a lot in the organizations that I'm actually working with is, is you've got so much technological change that's happened in the last handful of years and so many people that have the experience that they have that has been great. Um, and executive organizations that are also trying to transform their business, but this enormous gap across understanding uh, within organizations themselves about, you know, what's the baseline of everybody's knowledge? How do we talk in a way that we can move things forward effectively? How does an executive articulate a, a vision that then people can actually get on board with and execute against? And you see it a lot where the the language of of conversation, you know, the words are the same, but you can just sort of tell that people are talking past each other uh, in those conversations. So it's really interesting to a lot of that is being part of of the conversation, seeing that happening and then managing this, the subject matter or, or forcing the conversation to go deeper. Um, I, I think kind of you guys role played it out really well right there is how do you get it deeper so that you can actually get into a level of understanding when you recognize that people aren't understanding versus just sort of letting the, the language um, that seems the same uh, just sort of stand for itself and everybody moves on. I couldn't agree more, um, Lindsay. Uh, it, it's, it is very, um, as we think about communication in the workplace, it, it's it, even you know, female to female, female to male, it doesn't really matter which direction it is. Uh, communication is the core of what we do and even how we go to market with our products. So um, I really, really am inspired and grateful for the conversation that we've been able to foster today. Um, my hope is is that you know those that are listening are thinking through you know, how could I maybe reach out to to one of these great ladies right and get additional perspectives, um, but also um, how how can I know that it's it's okay to raise my hand to Stephanie's point right and and say I'm interested in that opportunity. Um, we all need to get to a place where we can um, ensure that we are providing 
folks below us and above us the opportunity to do so. So, um, Brian, I'm going to hand it over to you to, to summarize our conversation today and um, close us out. Yeah, sure. And I uh, have a bit of uh, an ask of you ladies. Um, I'm going to I'm going to recap here. But then at the end, if you guys could just share a topic you think we should cover uh, going forward on the podcast. I really like this. Um, you know, Sarah, we asked that of you on the last one and um, you came up with this idea. So uh, I'm gonna let you guys think about that and just we can just kind of popcorn it at the end. But for me, where this conversation has really went into is this idea of, look, you know, we're all in a knowledge working business. Um, our brains are what makes us valuable. Um, and as humans, our, our ability to produce uh, is critical. And I often tell my kids that if you're stuck on something and you cannot uh, achieve something or you can't do the homework, it's not because you can't output. It's not because you can't put the pen to paper. It's because you don't have the inputs you need. It's an input problem. And I think so many times we're focused on the output side of knowledge work where we want to sit in judgment of people or things or whatever. And and what this conversation has been really um, helpful for me to think about is where do inputs come from and how diverse can those inputs be? Because the more diverse it is, the, the, the better off you're going to be. And, and a quick story of this, when I was going through my officer training, um, they take us as as future officers to huge obstacle courses. It's kind of like Wipeout or um, <laughs> American Gladiator or whatever. And you have these big, huge puzzles you have to solve. And it's everything from you got to cross the lava and things like that, but you have to rely on each other to do it. And at first you have a bunch of people going at it alone and you can never solve it and you end up losing. But quickly you learn that there's a way to, to survey everybody, to get the inputs and to make decisions. And actually the more diverse those inputs are, the more creative you can be in solving the puzzle. And it doesn't seem um, like that would be the case, but it is. And maybe you've actually seen this happen before. This is where some of the creative thinking comes. So for me, the conversation around what's the business impact of diversity, um, that's been absolutely, uh, you know, for me, a great reminder. And then, you know, the, I really like the cognitive diversity angle. This isn't necessarily about gender, skin color, race, religion, sexual preference, et cetera. It's about diversity of thought and cognitive diversity. And, and that's that those audiences having a voice are is critical to the diversity uh, that you might need to win. And when you frame it that way, why wouldn't you create space for people to provide input? Why wouldn't you be proactive about seeking out? Um, so to Hang's point, you don't have all violins in the, in the orchestra or um, you don't have uh, everybody, um, a, a team full of Kobe's like Lindsay said. So that's the summary that I would have um, is that, you know, don't be an analogy. Don't be on the, on the sidelines. Um, at some point, my hope is that um, everybody's fighting for men's voices to be heard because they've been forgotten and the pendulum swung. And now we have to include men in the conversation because women have advanced so far and that might take forever. And maybe that's my naive for me to say, but I think there's a, an idea here of that we're even having an inclusive conversation. Right. This isn't just women talking about it by themselves. Scott and Brian or Steve and Brian were here, too. And I think that's really what's required from a 
uh, an orchestrator perspective is being inclusive of the actual opinions as we talk about inclusion to win. So um, that's that's my summary there. And I, let me just go around and, um, you know, let's go around the horn and, and I'd love your take on that. And then also, um, you know, I'd love to hear anything you have about what can we do going forward on the podcast? And then we're done. We'll end with Scott. You got it. Amy, you want to kick us off? Sure. I believe that we're wired for connection and growth. And I would like to see those VPs, Scott, that Steve Scott, Scott Steve, that you mentioned actually have a conversation uh, and almost the same conversation that we're having here, but through the lens of them. What vulnerabilities are they able to break through now? in their careers that they may have not been able to see beforehand, because I think those pockets of light are going to help illuminate for, for future people or even just people in their careers to date. I'd be interested in hearing what that conversation sounded like. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much for sharing. Steph, what about you? I think I'd be really interested uh, kind of on that same note, just about what mentorship and sponsorship looks like from an executive perspective, how you tackle it, how you reach out um, and the types of people that you mentor and sponsor along the way. Um, if you're in sales or sales enablement, like what what does that look like and how do you start doing it and how are you an effective mentor? I like it. Awesome. Hang, what about you? Um, maybe it's my enablement DNA. It could also be that my uh, Clifton Strengths number one is activator. But um, I believe in, you know, challenging people. What are you going to actually do about it? Um, I'm writing a book and it's specifically about um, creating access and elevation by those of us who were others. Once we how did we get there? Share our stories of how did we get there? And once we get there, what is our collective responsibility to drive awareness and then not only mentor, but actually put our necks out on the line to sponsor and bring more chairs to the table instead of shutting the door? How do we bring more chairs to the table behind us by giving the, uh, the women, the people of color, the underrepresented permission to raise their hands? permission to be a little bit different, permission to navigate the reality that they live in. And the reason is, um, one of the quotes that I always love is, everything you've already accomplished is a mountain someone else is currently trying to climb. Maybe they, you can give them a leg up. How do we get our peers to have the open minds and open hearts to open their own eyes and ears? That's, I think, would be a very interesting topic. I love that hang. Um, I love your bring all your differences to the table. That's what makes us makes us amazing. Um, Alicia, what about you? Um, just like what Amy and Steph and Hang were saying, I think it's it would be really interesting to have those discussions in a next topic or in a next series of topics, but also add a quarter of it that are very specific examples and. Since we're in the world of enablement and our job is to help our sellers sell, um, a lot of those sellers come from diverse backgrounds. A lot of them are women. Um, let's talk about women in negotiations. Um, how, how can women become better negotiators? How can they be 
better at the table in terms of getting the deal off the table. Um, and I know there's some great third-party skills-based um, workshops. Maybe if somebody has had an experience around that with a third party that they brought in to, to elevate um, diverse sellers, I would love to hear about those experiences. Steph and I have a lot that we can talk about in terms of Salesforce, but you know, Microsoft, um, it, it would be great to hear what kinds of programs they bring in to help uh, women in the workplace. I love that. And I actually and, um, know a few consultants, right, that are going in and doing this at some of the big tech companies in the Bay Area. So it'd be interesting to have that perspective around the table next go round. I love it. Lindsay, last but not least. Yeah, you, um, I, I think you guys all hit great topics for, for next follow on. I, I think maybe, you know, an, an area, and again, Scott kind of mentioned it that we've been talking about how do you dig into a little bit more is just the, the straight up communication and, and we're calling it English to English trans, translation. But, you know, again, how do you level set, um, to create that, that, uh, way that people can engage with each other and actually understand and build the communities that we're talking about. So. Completely agree. We got to start with understanding the language that each other is speaking. <laughs> so, um, thank you all so much for doing this um, and spending time with us. Um, I know it's quarter end and we, we all have a ton going on in our plate. So this perspective has been invaluable. And again, I am grateful um, for, for having the ability to learn from each of you. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.